We're in a sermon series on relationships. What does that mean for us? Some areas that we have to deal with, some things that come along. Today, we're going to be looking at one of these, which has to do with the conflict issue. There's a lot of conflict around us. There's a lot of conflict in anything and everything that we seem to see today. And today, I want to talk about not so much the conflict, we, we know the conflict, and not so much how to resolve the conflict. I'm not sure we could get to great answers of that. What I want to talk about today is our role as followers of Christ inside the conflict and how we are to able to deal with that and the care and the character that comes out in our lives through the conflict issues. Well, we know we have a lot of conflict. We, have, we know our nation is in conflict. I hope you're praying for our nation, praying for our leaders. We have seen that over the last couple of weeks. We've seen the the conflict as it relates to impeachment, the conflict as it relates to the State of the Union address. There's there's a lot of conflict in our nation. There There are conflicts that are based around a whole lot of different things. So we have to pray that in the middle of that, we as believers have character of Christ inside the national conflict. There's conflict in the world, right? I mean, we look around the world, we see the conflict that's going on, the wars that are happening, the the military conflicts that are going on. Uh, We were saddened again this week to see some American soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan. That's a heartbreaking kind of thing that's built on conflict around the world. We are praying for the coronavirus and all the conflict that is bringing, man, that's just, just so many needs in that. I, and I hope that you are also, or I encourage you at least to be praying for people who are going through that conflict of that virus and what that looks like. Uh, pray for China. Pray that, pray that God would somehow use this in order to break into that nation, right? And God would be able to, to break into the lives of people. Because we have to remember as followers of Christ, we believe that when people die without Christ, they spend eternity away from God in hell. And there are people dying all over the world through the conflicts that do not know Jesus. And what we should be praying for is God would use those in order to break through on a spiritual way into their life. So we have, we have our nation in conflict, we have our world in conflict, but I also know that you have personal conflict. There are conflicts in our life personally all over the place. You have conflict with your children, conflict with your parents, conflict with your spouse or with someone in your family, conflict at work with an employer or an employee. We know that there's conflict all around us. So it goes from, from the world and from the nation to our own personal lives, and we deal with it every day. But it's not new for us. It's not new. It's, it's been going from the beginning of time, right? It's been going from the conflict of Adam and Eve with Satan or with Esau and Jacob and the conflict with Moses and the children of Israel or Moses and Pharaoh or, or Elijah on the mountain with, the, with those who were against God, the prophets of Baal, or through Ezekiel or Jeremiah and into the new... Conflict has been and will be before us. But the real question is, how do we live out our lives in relationship to it? And I just want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. The first thing I want us to point our direction to is understanding that this conflict is real for us, which we all know that is real for us. But the first thing that has to happen inside that, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. 
In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us an illustration. He helps us to understand how we begin dealing with this conflict, or one of the ways, and maybe not at the starting point, but, a, but at least the beginning for us today. How do we begin to deal with this conflict that is in us and around us personally? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus helps us to understand who we are and what it looks like as we deal with conflict. He tells us in these early verses of Matthew chapter 7, I'm starting with verse 3. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now that that illustration that comes from from Matthew chapter 7 helps us to understand the first part of this conflict that we have to be able to live out of. And that's first of all to admit your part. What role do you play in this conflict? What role in your conflict of your family or your workplace or those around you or conflict that you have gone through or will go through, what part are you going to play inside that? Jesus says here to those who are listening and to us, he tells us, how can, in that that fifth verse, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly. That's a key part of that verse. How are we recognizing what's going on around us and our role inside that as we begin to recognize and we begin to see that role? It comes, what comes out of that is a clear understanding of the role that we're in, the clear understanding of our part in the conflict, a clear understanding of how we must then come to a place of confession inside that role that we are playing in that conflict. So the first thing that we begin to look at today is if we're walking through conflict, how do we begin to see the others who are around us, how to begin to see the conflict from from their perspective possibly, but how do we begin to say before I can talk about all the struggles that you have and all the problems that you have and all the things that's your problem, I need to then first of all take this this log out of my own eye. I need to, I need to remove this, this, my own thinking about myself, and that may mean that I have to come to a place of confession, that my place have come to, come to a place of saying and looking clearly, as Jesus said, you can look clearly at the situation that is before you. I think that's a, that's a big part of what we have to deal with when we're talking about conflict in relationship. How do I admit my part inside that? Because now I have stepped back and I am looking clearly at the situation just as Jesus was teaching us here in Matthew chapter 7. I am looking at the situation, therefore I know my part. It may mean that we have to ask God to show us what that part is. And that's the second thing that I would tell us this morning. Not only do we admit our part, but we agree to pray for this conflict. I don't know how much you're doing that or how much in your life you're spending praying for the conflicts that happen in your family or at your workplace. I don't know how much you're praying for your employer or your employees, but I think the Bible moves us that direction. It says if we're going to be a part of the conflict that's going on in our lives and we know that it's true, how are we then praying for the people inside that? Well, I'll this week, obviously, with the State of the Union dress, man, with all the Facebook posts and all the things that were, that were being said and that we have seen inside that, I stepped back and I wondered, 
How much are believers praying for those who are involved? I don't mean just those that we agree with. I mean for everyone in the room. What are we praying for God to do inside our, spirit, our, our political leadership that could change the face of our country? What would happen if we had spiritual revival among our leaders? If God were to change their hearts, what would that do for us as a nation? It would change everything. If you've studied anything about spiritual awakenings and revivals in America, it could happen. And it could happen again, but it only happens as God's people begin to pray and the Spirit of God begins to move upon people. And that happens as we're praying for the Spirit of God to move. And Luke, and you can follow me there, Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus shares this parable with the disciples. And Luke records it for us in the 18th chapter of his gospel to help us understand. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And that is the very first verse of the 18th chapter. Then he goes on to say, In a certain town there was a judge who never feared God, nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, have you ever prayed like that? Grant me justice or grant me a way to be within those who are against me. That's what she's praying. She's praying for justice inside this. And that's in verse 2 here in verse 3 of chapter 18 of Luke. For, for some time, this judge, it says, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. I love that. So that she won't eventually, she, she's wearing me out with this stuff, right? Because she keeps coming in here and asking me to do something. And I think, isn't that, wouldn't that be amazing if the church, if Graceland and, and other churches in America would, would literally wear God out by saying, God, bring revival, do something, help me in this conflict, help me to see my part in this, help me to recognize who I am, help me, Lord, to be able to, to do the work that you have called me to do, help me to be a character inside this, help me to live out my Christian faith so that those around me might see who you are, not who I am. Now, and I think it's a great verse here that, that Luke gives us an understanding that being persistent with the gospel, being persistent by, by being able to share the word, being persistent by going to the Father in prayer and saying, God, we are, we are just done. We are, we are toast on this thing if you don't do something in the middle of this. I, I believe that to be the truth. I believe unless God shows up and we have renewal and spiritual awakening, not so much in our country, but in our churches, we're going to be in trouble because it's the church that must rise up. It's the church that takes the gospel. And the Lord is, is desiring to have his people be able to come to him and say, do this, do this work so that we might see God at work. So what we're doing when we're talking about how we live inside our conflict is we're admitting our part, first of all, and then we're agreeing to pray, God, do something. God, we're coming to you again. God, I need your wisdom in this. God, I need your direction. I need your guidance. Which leads me to the next thing that I want to say, which is found in James chapter 4. James is a little book in the far back corners of the New Testament. It's a little letter that James writes to the church, to God's people. James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
came to this place of understanding about the church, and he wanted to give a word to the church. And, and it was a church that was struggling, not because they were struggling because they had a lot of conflict within them. They were struggling because they were new. I mean, they hadn't been around very long. It was the new church. They didn't know how to react. They didn't know what to do with some of the things that were happening. They didn't know how to deal with conflict inside the church, inside the church body. And James was teaching them from wisdom from the God. You remember when James says, if you, ask, if you need wisdom, James says, ask for it. God's going to give it to you. That's what he wants to do. That was new for the church to hear. We've heard that hundreds of times. Yet I wonder how faithful we are in asking God for wisdom. Yet here in the fourth chapter of James, he says this in chapter 4, verse 1, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. So the third thing I'd like to say today is at some point, we must put away the pride that's in our lives. Putting aside the pride inside the conflict makes the difference. Maybe that's in your marital relationship. Maybe you know that you are right. Maybe you desire what you want. Maybe you say, this is the way it has to be. But somewhere in us, God begins to work on us. And God begins to mold us and shape us and say, it's not about you. It's not what you want all the time. It's not just about your desires. It's about having your focus on him. And that's what James is trying to teach, not just in this chapter, but really in his entire little letter. He's trying to teach us that our focus is on the fact that God is doing the work. Because you see, he brings to us an understanding that God is not a selfish God. We are selfish people. And we are selfish because we desire something and we want something and we think what we want is the greatest thing, right? That, that's what most of the time happens inside our relationships. We have determined what the outcome should be. And so therefore we are working and we are communicating and we're not listening or listening in order to turn things to what we desire. And James very very intuitively says to us, that's why you have coils, and that's why you have problems, and that's why you have conflicts, because you desire what you want. Because he has already told us, it really is about what God is doing in our lives. So we, we've moved from being unselfish to selfish. Again, that's not new. It's just a part of who we are in our human nature, yet it doesn't excuse us. It doesn't allow us to say, as believers... It doesn't excuse us because as believers, our hearts should be turned toward Christ. Why? Because he has been unselfish in his love toward us. And that's the greatest thing about selfishness and unselfishness. Our, our greatest example as believers is to be able to look at Christ. The Bible tells us that he had all the things of glory. Everything that was there was his. He created all things. Everything was at his feet as his footstool. But instead of just saying, it's good, I want to keep all this, Jesus said that I am willing to go to earth. I am, I am desiring to go to earth in order to be the redeemer of my people. God loved this world so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who says, I'm going to be the redeemer out of an unselfish compassion for me, my sin, my brokenness, 
knowing that I can never be righteous enough in order to gain heaven. There is nothing I could do in order to have eternal life. God knew that. Jesus knew that. The Holy Spirit understands that. That's why the Holy Spirit guides us into the knowledge of truth. That's why the Holy Spirit and and Christ draws us to himself because he wants to be unselfish in his love. He has been as he died on the cross. But more than that, right, his unselfishness to break all the chains of sin and death to give us eternal life. And the more inside our conflicts and our struggles that we understand our role inside that, and we understand that we are to be persistent in our prayer inside that, and at the same time, we recognize that we have to put aside our prayer, our our pride inside that, it leads us somewhere. It leads us to striving to be people of unity and peace. It leads us to a place, according to God's word, where we desire that. If you have your Bible again in front of you, you can flip back a few books, a few little pages, back to the little book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, there are so many verses in the Bible that help us to understand this. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 is where I want to take us now. Because inside that, he, he helps us to begin the process of thinking about our pride, of thinking about who we are and what we must do. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 31, talking to us personally as believers, who he says are full of the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit in your life as a follower of Christ, he's talking to you here, for he says in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. Wow. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all brawling. That's fighting, he would tell us, or that whole desire to fight. Get rid of all slander. Get rid with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it. You know what get rid of it means, don't you? When Elizabeth says, you need to get rid of the trash, I take the trash out of the house and throw it in the trash can that goes to the dumpster that goes somewhere else. I don't see it anymore. I get rid of it. And here, Paul tells us from the word of the Holy Spirit, we need to get rid of these things in our lives. And in verse 32, we replace them with something. It's always the case. When I take out the trash in the house, I take out the dirty trash bag, throw it away. I replace it with a new trash bag that's clean. And now I can fill it up again with junk, right? But here he says, now that you have gotten rid of the trash, put in its place kindness and compassion to one another. Two things, be kind be compassionate. Can you imagine what that would do in the lives of our lives of relationship and conflict if we put on being kind and being compassionate? Now, he gives us the reason for giving each other, being kind, being compassionate, forgiving each other. That's the focus. Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Why would we forgive? Because we would be forgiven. How? Because we recognize ourself inside this. We have been praying. We've put aside the pride in our lives. And we have gotten rid of the junk that is around us. And now we're striving for peace. That is the purpose. We're striving in our Christian lives to bring unity and peace among the brethren, among people around us, 
among our family, inside our relationships. We are letting people see us as followers of Christ in our workplace. And so they know that we're striving for peace because of who Christ is in us. That's just not something that we're supposed to do, and it's okay if we do or don't. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, he commands these things of us. These are a few of the commands that he gives to us. And a command means you do it, right? He commands us repeatedly instructed to love one another. And there are so many many passages of that. John 13, Romans 20. He is repeatedly instructing us that we must love one another. He is repeatedly telling us that we are to live in peace and harmony with one another. That's a command for us. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something that we ought to consider. It is actually what he commands us to do as believers. He commands us to settle our differences among ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthian church was full of conflict, but he was saying, settle the differences do it among yourselves so, it, so people who see you who are not believers will recognize that you have peace in the midst because of Christ. He tells us that, and he commands us to be patient, to be kind, to be tenderhearted. Not just good things for us, but commands that come to us. He commands us to consider others better and before ourselves. That's a hard one, Philippians 2, 3. He tells us that is the command for us, that we should, we must consider others before ourselves. He commands us to bear one another burden. That's a command from him. Not just, I keep saying it, not just a good idea. But sometimes we think these biblical commands are just something we ought to do. Just a good idea for us, right? But here he commands us that that's what we have to do. He commands us in 1 Corinthians 13, 6 to rejoice in the truth. He commands us to do that as followers of Christ. So you begin to see that what happens in our lives, what happens in our conflicts, what happens in our struggle, is that we as believers then begin to say we admit our role inside this. We are praying for God to do something. We're willing to give up ourselves and not be so selfish about this and about what's going on in our relationships, whether it's in our marriage or with our parents or with our children or with someone else in our family or with our our friends or coworkers. Our role is to strive for peace. Why? Because it's a good idea? No, because the word of God in which we both say we believe in commands it and says that is what we do so that we began to be a people who live out of our faith, not out of our fear. And I think that's so true about the church today. So much of what we do is out of fear. We respond out of fear. You respond in your conflicts out of fear. You respond to your spouse out of fear. You respond to those around you out of fear. Yet the Bible is teaching us as believers that we should be responding out of faith. Faith in Christ. Faith that's in our life, faith of what he has done, faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross in order to give us eternal life. And because he has done that, because he has forgiven us, we then are able to live our lives with people, walking through conflict because you know it's going to happen, but you walk through it as people of faith, letting our faith in Christ come out. That makes the difference. I cannot imagine what the women who serve in the area of Scarlet Hope must go through when they're going in to serve. 
I can't imagine what it might be as a volunteer to walk into one of those dark places for the first time. I would think they would be very afraid. But they walk in with a fear, but they walk in with faith of the gospel because that's what transforms us. That's what changes us. Not just good ideas, but our willingness to say we are living out our faith in the middle of the fear and their conflicts. I love what Proverbs says to us. Proverbs in the New English Version says, any fool can start an argument. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. I love that. Just simple, right? Any fool can start an argument. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. And we stay out of them because of who Christ is in us.